We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thursday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with, believe it or not, Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we're on a nice spree here uh, doing these two episodes per week during the playoffs. I was really excited to, to chat with you today and, and kind of in the aftermath of Celtic Sixers. You know, we, we got Joel Embiid back in the mix. You know, thought this would be a really fun game. And uh, it was for a half. Boston led by eight at halftime. Uh, they outscore the Sixers 35-16 in the third quarter, end up winning this game by 34 and it was just one of those where you have some weird stat lines all over the place. Like, you know, James Harden scores 45 in game one. He goes two of 14 from the field, 0 of six from three for 12 points in game two. Embiid, you know, pretty much ineffective and did have five blocks on defense, but didn't really make a huge difference. Jason Tatum has like one of the worst playoff games of his career. And yet he's a plus 24. That was a team best. Uh, can we can we really take anything away from what we saw in Boston last night? Well, we should have known the the James Harden 12-point game was coming after Bet MGM revealed that 99% of their bets were on the over on his points. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty much the kiss of death. I uh no, I don't I don't think there's a ton to take away from this game in turn like obviously like you mentioned the first half was competitive. Embiid looked really good defensively. Um but Harden was ice cold from 3. He got some foul calls that kind of bailed him out, which is the only reason he got 12 points at all. Um Actually had zero turnovers as well, which was which was nice from him. But you know, I mean, the Celtics just shot better, and they won the possession game. Fewer turnovers. They had one more offensive rebound, and you know, it's interesting because we on the XM show we had Noah Levick on from NBC Sports Philadelphia, and his main concern it seemed to be defensively was like the 76ers. They have a ten- tendency to just fall asleep. They miss the rotations. There's some blow buys on guys like Niang and, and Harden, and if the rotations aren't perfect, then you get screwed and. Mm-hmm. Watching this game, that's just a lot of what happened and what led to 121 points for Boston. Yeah, going in, I mean, when you have a factor like Embiid, you know, not playing in game one, reintroducing him in game two and not knowing what he's going to look like, it felt like it made this game really difficult 
to handicap. And look, I, I didn't pick the, the Celtics to win by 34. So I'm not going to say like we knew this was coming, <laughs> but I'm not shocked, you know, given that it sounded like even the Sixers themselves didn't really know for sure until an hour or two before game time, if Embiid was going to play, I, I think that kind of put them in a difficult spot. And you know, obviously they, they stole a game in game one that they certainly deserve to win, but nobody expected them to win. I, I don't think it's shocking that the series now sits at one, one, uh, you know, Boston only turned the ball over six times. I think that's huge as well. They had 16 turnovers. In game one, Marcus Smart had six of those, just one turnover for him last night. He played a lot better. Derek White played a lot better. Jalen Brown, as we predicted, was significantly more aggressive. I mean, he, he almost had more made field goals in this game than he had attempts last game. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, you know, the, the the Celtics are just more capable of getting contributions from guys down their roster in the scoring department. Not that the 76ers, like, you know, the 76ers, like, Harris, Maxi, those guys can get going, but um, you know the De'Anthony Melton regression game was coming. That hit one of five shooting for two points, and and you know guys like Derek White uh, for the Celtics, Grant Williams actually had a really nice impact on this game. Yep. He was a guy that they kind of reintroduced for Joel Embiid. He's a big body. You know we've seen uh, the Celtics use him on guys like Giannis as well. And Malcolm Brogdon's having a fantastic series: six of ten from three, twenty-three points last night. And a ton of those were wide open like they were in game one. I have no idea how he keeps getting this wide open for his threes, but um, it's like it's Philly actually has to, it's kind of a problem they have to solve. Well, we talked with Noah yesterday about the impact of DeAnthony Melton, you know, and he, he's not Malcolm Brogdon by any means, but he had played really well for them in game one. He's been good really throughout the playoffs and throughout this season. And, you know, if that's kind of the matchup that you're looking at, it's like, okay, if, you know, Brogdon could swing this game for Boston, Melton could swing this game for Philly. I mean, Brogdon, easily won that one. Uh, I mean, Melton was just one of five last night. Oh, two from three. He's a minus 12. That was the worst uh, of all Philly bench players. So the Sixers let this game get away, but you know, I, I don't think it's better in some ways to lose a game like this than lose a game in the way that golden state lost game one, where you're like, okay, we actually played pretty well. And we, and we lost this game. Like you kind of feel like you blew it. Whereas Philly, you know, there's not a lot to look around and say like, man, we should have won this one. I agree. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you still got to be happy 1-1 going back to Philly, right? I mean, I think if Embiid had played both games and you ended up 1-1, you'd be happy. Exactly, exactly. I think you're right about that. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that doesn't work in Philly's favor here is only one game between games. So we get game three back in Philly now tomorrow night. Uh, Sixers are one and a half point home dogs, which I think if you're expecting Embiid to look a little bit better, that's that's about right, factoring in home court? I think so. Um yeah, I mean, I think if, if we knew Embiid was if, if Embiid was 100% healthy, I'm, the 76ers, I would assume, would be favored at home. I think so. I think so. I mean, Boston has been getting an immense amount of respect, though, throughout these playoffs. You know, even when yeah. you look at series prices, you look at odds to win the East, like they, the books aren't really moving off of Boston, and perhaps rightfully so. Uh, you know, Philly, uh, I'm trying to look at their home record right now. Um, I mean, it gets the spread at home. They were 26-16-1. That was the second best in the entire league so that they are you know among several teams that have been better at home we expect them uh with, with more time to, to kind of get Joel Embiid reintegrated I thought Embiid physically actually looked pretty good I mean he, he had a blow-by dunk on, on Al Horford at one point he had the five yeah. blocks most of those came early so uh you know it wasn't something where I, I come out of this game necessarily worried about what Embiid will look like going forward I, I just thought you know it's, it's a completely different game when Embiid's in there right you know and I think we saw the Harden oriented game plan in game one. And I think Harden himself struggled to adjust, but I think Embiid is just such a huge piece, especially on offense that going from not having him for two games to then just bringing him back 
uh, with, with very little notice, I think did throw Philly off. Yeah, and, and this may have ultimately came down to like 76ers played bad defense and they missed a lot of their threes. And, um, you know, I mean, that I, I mean, they let the, 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 the time run out basically. You know, the, there was a lot of garbage time in this game, right? And so, um, mm. but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Philly won game three. Yeah, to me, there's no real difference between losing by 15 and losing by 34. So, like, I don't, I don't, that doesn't like alarm me more for Philly because, like you said, they, they packed it in. They, they kind of knew, um, you know, where this thing was headed pretty early on. So, I'm, I'm totally okay with that and you're kind of trying to conserve your energy for that next game. Really strange game for Jason Tatum. One of seven from the field, like we said, was still plus 24. It's not like he was a disaster, but two turnovers, just seven points. It, it has been, it's been a strange playoffs for Tatum. I mean, he, he, Scored a ton in game one, but was really quiet. I think he only had five points in the fourth quarter of game one. And you know, really for the second straight playoffs, it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's on this whole separate level as like the clear, you know, super duper star on this team. It doesn't. No, I mean Jalen Brown has been uh, by contrast amazing. And um I, I think part of it too is you're getting way more consistent contributions out of Derek White and, and Malcolm Brogdon too. There's just fewer there's it's just less necessary for Tatum to take a bunch of these bailout shots and be the hero, essentially. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, Celtics now are minus 230 to win this series. Uh, if, if you like Philly, bet them right now at plus 190. Uh, obviously, they just have to win the series for you to cash that bet. Uh, and the Celtics you know, remain the, the the favorites to win the title now at plus 170. Uh, so not quite as, uh, as crazy as the odds were a few days ago. But I think part of that is Denver's up 2-0, <coughs> excuse me, up 2-0 in its series. We have no idea, you know, what's going to happen with Lakers Warriors. That could easily be a series where those teams beat each other up for seven games. Denver, if Denver plays this right, especially with no Chris Paul, I mean, they, they could win this series in four or five games and then have, you know, a pretty significant rest advantage to begin the West Finals. That would be that would be great for them. And I think they could. I, I would not be surprised if this Nuggets Suns series ended in a sweep. As talented as Booker and, and Durant are, you need Chris Paul out there because your bench is so bad. And um I, I don't necessarily I don't really trust DeAndre to step up in a way that would result in like the the Suns forcing a game six necessarily. Oh, you'll see. You'll you'll all yep. see when Dominating comes out. Uh, do you trust Campaign to step up? Because we will not have Chris Paul in all likelihood tomorrow. We won't have him uh, in all likelihood for games four and five if it even gets that far in this series. And yet, the Phoenix Suns four point favorites at home. I I would take Nuggets plus four here. I know they weren't a. Yeah. Um, they weren't a great road team. Some of this has to do with the elevation, et cetera, uh, of, of Denver. You know, they always have the advantage there. But uh, I, I think campaign will absolutely try uh, to make up for the absence of Chris Paul. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to find a book that does field goal attempts props for, for like random right. bench players like campaign. I, I would be all over that. Uh, Denver 20 and 23 straight up on the road this season. Uh, Phoenix was even worse on the road though, 19 and 26. So uh, there are very few teams. It's basically Philly, Boston, Milwaukee, Sacramento, and New York were the only teams that were like decent on the road uh, that, that won more than like 50% of their games. So I, I don't, I don't really hold that against Denver all that much, uh, especially to me because they've, they've been the only team in this playoffs that I, they have not had a single game where I'm like, wow, that was, that was a little weird. I'm a little worried about this team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've looked, um, they've looked like a well-oiled machine. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We get game two between the Lakers and the Warriors tonight. Uh, you and I will be previewing that on the Rotowire NBA show, which you can hear on Sirius XM NBA radio channel 86 at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is a 9 p.m. Eastern tip-off tonight. So I, I feel comfortable previewing this game. We'll get this pot out early enough that, that hopefully it has some value. I, I remain shocked that the Lakers won game one. Uh, I, I think Golden State, like we said on the pod yesterday, should be a, a little shaken that they hit that many threes and, and still lost that game, especially the game they got from Jordan Poole. But I, I think the book, much like a lot of people, it, it seems like the general consensus is, okay, Golden State regroups. They take care of business at home. Six and a half point favorites are the Warriors tonight to even this series up at 1-1? I, I would not bet the Lakers to win. I, I like the Lakers plus six and a half. That what would be I? my bet. Yeah. I I really liked what I saw from them. Um, I thought they had a pretty solid game plan. Like, hey, let's try to force Clay and Curry into help. Let's sag off all the non-shooters <laughs> off of Looney, off of Draymond, off of Gary Payton. Um, and it just ended up turning into like the, the Warriors were trying to figure it out on the fly. And I think they, they made some good adjustments in the second half, which is what led to him, them having like a 14 0 run. Um, mm-hmm. Lakers offense kind of slowed down in the fourth quarter, but these teams seem relatively evenly matched, but of course it's the Warriors, right? So they could come out and score 140 points and hit 25 threes. And, mm-hmm. and that's the game. Very interested to see what version of Draymond, we get tonight. I think you know he was obviously he's kind of a different player now than he was when when you know the, the Warriors and, and LeBron were having their battles back in the Cleveland days. But I, I thought he was pretty ineffective in Game One. You know, picked up a tech, just kind of 
wasn't as involved. Um, you know, normally in these situations, he always storms back in the next game. So I think we get a much better Draymond game. Number one for me though, and, and really I think everybody who's analyzed the series, it, it, if Anthony Davis plays like he did in game one, it, the, the Lakers could win the series in four or five, truly. It's just, we, we've never seen Anthony Davis sustain this for more than a game or two at a time. Well, and he barely sustained it for the entire game. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the first half, I mean, he was he was fantastic in the first half. They were going to him. He looked like he was, he was physically dominant. And then he had a pretty invisible third quarter. Um, and the second half just wasn't as dominant for him. But uh, yeah, I mean, especially defensively. The whole Lakers team defensively, packing the paying inside, um, mm-hmm. got a ton of blocks. But yeah, AD, this is this is a matchup he has to he has to take advantage of because they don't have uh Golden State doesn't have a rim protector. No, they don't. And you know, I, I think it's also especially difficult for Golden State when when Looney and Draymond are on the floor together, you know, they could get away with it because they have the two like greatest shooters in modern NBA history on the floor. No other team I feel like could get away with that in the modern NBA, having two just complete zeros outside of the restricted area. Even Draymond, like Draymond wants nothing to do with even like the layup has to be so wide open for him. Like he's when he gets to the rim, even if there's like kind of a half a defender there or somebody he can get by, like I I still feel like he's in the mode of pass first, unless I I absolutely have to lay it up. Right. And he prefers the floater. If he's going to take a shot, like he just, I'd rather shoot it before the help gets there. And yeah, I mean, I think we saw Kerr trying to experiment a little bit. We saw eight minutes of Jamichael green. I think he thought like, Mm -hmm. Well, we need some more three-point shooting out there, but I don't want to sacrifice all of our size. And that just—he's like, well, we have one guy in the roster that can do that. It's J. Michael Green. So I don't know if we necessarily see more of him in Game Two. Maybe we see like more Divincenzo. It's just—it's hard to say they should play less Looney because he's—he's he's so dominant on the offensive glass. He had seven in Game One. Yeah, I mean, another twenty rebound game for Looney. I feel like they—they they almost need that to offset what Anthony Davis is doing. And you know, you pull Looney out of the game, I think that just creates a huge, huge advantage for Davis and even LeBron uh, inside. I want to go back to Phoenix though, because it, uh, we're already starting to see that narrative of like, oh man, if they lose this series, man, that Durant trade is going to go down as an all-time bad one. I, I don't know if I agree with that. First of all, because one, they're down two zero. Four days from now, you know, they might be two two, and we'll feel completely differently about it. But you know, it's not like Kevin Durant is an expiring contract and, you know, they gave up, obviously you give up a, a big time asset in McCall Bridges. That, that's the one that hurts, uh, you know, Cam Johnson, did they have to include him in the trade? Who knows? Either way, you're not so worried about that. I, the picks to me, it's like, yeah, you, you don't want to have a, a 2029 first round pick on the ledger, uh, you know, down the road, but you know, you still have Kevin Durant under contract for three more years beyond this one. So like, I, I don't view this as a situation where if the Suns don't win the finals this year, it feels like they've missed their window because I obviously Durant, you know, he's going to be 36 and you know, or 35 next year, 36 the year after the contract takes him through his age 37 season, he's going to diminish at some point in the health, you know, it's going to become an increasing concern, but I, I don't think this is like the final run for the Suns. No, I don't think so. And Booker's going to be good for a really long time. Still obviously through that 2029 season, um, depending on whether like I, I, I have my qualms about DeAndre, but he's still a good player. And having him on your roster will be a good thing at that at that point if if mm-hmm. Durant is diminished. And even if you trade eight and you'll get something and um but I agree. I mean I it would feel like revisionist history if they if they fall the to the Nuggets here. The Nuggets are a fantastic number one seed. They were a number one seed for a reason. Didn't feel like a fluke. You lose to that team, you you just can't feel that bad about it. And of course the Chris Paul injury was, is part of it. But this is you know, if if they lose and especially if they get swept here. 
with Chris Paul out, it's just going to add more fuel to the fire of those people who are like, well, this is a bad trade because you're, you're starting to stack inju- like injury prone 35 year olds right. on your team. Yeah. I mean, 37 year olds in Chris Paul's case. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the other thing too, I mean, Chris Paul, he's partially guaranteed for next year, not guaranteed for 24, 25. So it's, it, I, they have their outs. You know, I think the, the issue of course is you're never going to be able to, you're not going to be able to like replace Chris Paul with like Damian Lillard. You know, there's not like a one-to-one replacement there. Um, but you know, I, I think you could, you could basically pick up his contract next year, maybe trade him, trade him at the deadline. Uh, like they, they have ways to at least get somebody in there. And to me, I like just having the base of Durant and Booker is better than what, like 25, 26 other teams in the league. Like most teams would love to have that even at Durant's age. Yeah. I think, I think people also got kind of spooked by how good Mikhail Bridges looked on the, on the yeah. nets. And that's, I mean, I get that, but I don't know. I mean, the Suns had him in house and they, they were okay trading right. him. And, uh, you know, it's not like the Nets were that good when he was there as the number one option. I, uh, yeah, I don't, I would be a little surprised if they traded Chris Paul. I, I feel like they kind of want to see, see that through. I think both sides would, would like to just kind of see that to the end, but you're right. I mean, he'll, he'll retire sooner than later. I don't think I don't think Chris Paul is playing until he's like forty uh, or forty-one or something. Yeah. But it depends. It, it's he's in he's in the perfect situation for this point in his career, right? It's like where's I I could see him playing it out as long as he possibly can to try to get that ring, kind of what we saw from Carmelo, um, you know. And and he's he's still an effective player when healthy, but I just I don't see him landing in a better situation, you know, short of like maybe two years from now he signs for like the veteran minimum to like join forty-year-old LeBron on the Lakers, something like that. Like he's a, he's in as good of a spot as he could possibly be in to kind of add a a late ring a la Jason Kidd in his career. Yes, and he's and he's on a great team context as well, where it's just like all you have to do is be the floor general because like your entire job is hey I'm going to set up Kevin Durant and I'm going to set up Devin Booker and I'll run some pick and rolls with Aiden where I can give him easy lobs and I have to score eight points a game and just not turn the ball over and I'm being a positive contributor so. You're right. I mean, maybe he does. He does run it out a little bit longer than than we might think. Yeah, I, I think that decision will like be in the hands of the Suns. It's like at some point we just be like, hey man, you're you're getting injured at the worst possible time every single year, and it's not just when you're with us. Like this happened in in, in L.A. as well. Uh, it's just it's a weird coincidence, man. I've never really seen anything like this. Like a guy who every single season when they get to this point, there's some sort of ailment. And like when when, when the camera panned to Chris Paul limping his way to the locker room, like I, I didn't even react. I was like, yeah, of course this was coming at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, how, how long they keep him for, it might depend on, like, what kind of discount he's willing to yeah. take. Because it's like, listen, man, if you're 39 and you keep getting hurt like this, like, we have to save some salary to have, a like, a backup for you when you play yeah. 45 games this season. Yeah, I, I think the problem, you know, they don't have any pick swaps. So, you know, you still get your own pick in 24. You got your own pick in 26, 28. I mean, that's obviously down the road here. But, you know, not having a first-rounder this year, it's like you're limiting your chances at getting – you know, your version of Tyrese Maxey or your version of even like Jordan Poole when he was good. You know, it's like there's teams, good teams find ways to evaluate and get good players. Desmond Bain you know, is another good example at, at the end of the first round or early in the right. second round. Like the Suns are, are kind of limiting their, their ways to add to this roster. And I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of teams go all in for two or three superstars and it's just a stars and scrubs roster build. This, this is like the extreme version of that. I, I feel like, especially when you can't count on Chris Paul. I mean, it's like, you have two superstars. You have a center who nobody really likes that much in Aiton. You have an injured 38-year-old point guard. And then beyond that, you have like 
the worst collection of five through 12 guys in the league. Yeah, I think I think the hope has to be you get some ring chasers uh, in free agency mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a bio guy here or there, although that's always overrated. But yeah, you get, some ring ch- you get some ring chasers in free agency. And if, I mean, if you're this is where scouts make their money. Like these contending teams, when you're picking 20 through 30 in every single draft, like those are the picks you have to nail. And you contrast that with a team like the Milwaukee Bucks that just failed almost every single time in those pick spots. Yeah. So um, really crucial for them to hit those picks. Last thing I'll say about this, like I get the McCall Bridges thing, you know, two, three years from now, that might look really bad because I, I think he is going to be a, a great player. He's never going to be Kevin Durant. He's probably never going to be close to that level. KD is, you know, it, it feels like somewhat of a disappointing playoffs for him and, and a disappointing season overall because of the injuries. He, he averaged 29 points per game on 56, 40, 92. Like I, you, you have to get like, you have to give something up to get a player like that. And if that means McCall Bridges, then so be it. Like it's not like it's not like KD is only offense. Like he's still playing good defense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, these things swing so wildly because last time we saw KD, you know, he was struggling. He's two of twelve from three. He missed some key shots in that game too. Now we're all down on him. Like if he comes out and puts up forty-five tomorrow night, and the Suns win by twenty, and all of a sudden they're back in the series, you feel completely different about the trade. So it, it, to me, it totally depends on when you're having that conversation. Uh, I want to go back to finals MVP. Interesting to me that Jason Tatum remains such a heavy favorite. Uh, I, I get that he's kind of the default choice for Boston, uh, but you know, it's the combination of me. I, I don't view the Celtics as like by far the most likely team to make the finals at this point. I, I get the argument. I, to me, I would much, much rather bet Jokic at plus four fifty than Tatum at plus two sixty. I, I don't, I don't really see the value there. Is it, is it, are you worried about, like the 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 Jalen Brown potential Finals MVP, uh, a little bit. That that's definitely part of it. Uh, for one, you know, I I don't think the Celtics are necessarily a lock to go to the finals. I get that they're they're going to be heavily favored to win this series, and whether it's the Heat or the Knicks, they should win that one as well. But yeah, I I think the gap between Brown and Tatum is closer than the odds would indicate. I mean, th- these were their stats in the finals last year, six games. Jason Tatum shot thirty six percent from the field. And had 129 points. Jalen Brown, 43% from the field, 141 points. Brown had more rebounds. Tatum had more assists. Like Brown was legitimately the better player. You know, the, the averages bear that out as well. Tatum even played more minutes. Uh, I, I think that gap is is too close uh, to to reflect this value. I mean, plus 260 for Tatum. I, I you know I also don't, I, I think if we get if we get Celtics Nuggets, like I'm not, I'm not saying that Celtics in five. I mean that could easily be a seven game series. Like that's probably a 50 50 to me. And with the Nuggets, Jokic is winning it. We know that. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I think the books are still thinking like, well, Celtics get past this round with the hobbled Embiid, and then they they face either the Knicks or the Heat, um, who they should be a heavy favorite against. That's compared to the Nuggets, who yeah, I mean, should should clear the the Suns out here after the Chris Paul injury, and then have to face either the Lakers or the Warriors, who both look great right now. Um, but yeah, I mean that. I think I think Jokic is probably the better value because of you're more certain that he's going to win Finals MVP. That's how I would lean. Did you? Uh, sorry to derail this. Did you see that they have Dylan Brooks' uh, next team odds up on DraftKings? <laughs> no. What uh, what category is this under? Do I need like a special uh, keyword? Pl- no, pl- it's player next team. Uh, next regular season team that he plays a minute for. Uh, Cavs. Uh, plus 700, Suns plus 800, Mavericks plus 1,000. Um, 
and then the you know the list continues. Wow, these must have just been posted because I, I refreshed and now I see that man. This is a this is a dubious list. You do not want to see your team on this list. Uh, sadly, I think the Cavs make sense. I mean, he would be <laughs> yeah. he would be a pretty huge upgrade over what they, over what they're rolling out on the wing. Um, you know, everybody clowns Dylan Brooks, rightfully so. I think it's actually gone a little too far. I mean, like people are talking about this guy like he like committed a murder or something. I mean, right. he kind of murdered his murdered himself like PR wise, but Jesus, I think he's, he's going to be in the league next year. He's not going to end up in China. Um, but I mean, you're going to get him at a major discount. That's the thing. I think that's why it becomes appealing to teams. The Cavs and the, the Suns and the Mavs aren't lining up to sign him, you know, to a, a four for 80 deal. But you, I mean, he's, he's lost himself tens of millions of dollars uh, with his antics over the last couple of weeks. And there will be teams that want him. Uh, you know, like I said, the Cavs make sense. I mean, Dallas, Dallas is going to need to fill out a roster. So I, I could see that one as well. Well, he's better than Isaac Okoro. Mm-hmm. I will say that for the Cavs, although it would be better for them to have a three-point shooter in that spot, I think. But this is just a list of teams that are like, would very much like to win the NBA title and have zero bench. Um, and the Rockets are in there, I think, just because of all the the buzz around them, like going for it next year. Um Heat are probably on there because of like their defensive reputation. Maybe he can go in there and it's more of like a, you know, um, yeah, I like that. I like to have to clarify in brackets on DraftKings 2023, 24 only, because if he's in China <laughs> next year and then comes back to the NBA, your bet will not cash. Okay. Oh, Just that's keep so that good. in mind. That's so good. Uh, by the way, Dylan Brooks first four years in the league, 36, 38, 36, 35% from three. So like he, he at one point was like a decent three point shooter and the last two years, that's just completely fallen off a cliff. I don't know. Like there's, you could talk yourself into, you know, getting him a shooting coach, figuring things out. Like, I mean, the form looks awful, but it always has. That's how he shot it at Oregon too. It's like, it's maybe the most one handed shot I've ever seen. Like the, the guide hand is completely off the ball by the time it's like, uh, he's like locking and loading it. Yeah. It's, uh which is kind of what you're taught in some ways, but it's not supposed to look that look, look that way. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, RotoWire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup. Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup. And use our code RotoWireMBA, all one word, RotoWireMBA. Use that at signup and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a Rival today. Welcome to the arena. I want to hit uh, just a few names, random fantasy topics. You know, we we kind of put a bow on the fantasy season yesterday. Obviously, it's been wrapped up for for a month now. Uh, But, you know, we're we're not too far away from starting to prepare for the NBA draft, which comes at us in in less than two months. After that, you know, we'll be putting out our rankings, our roundtables, all that good stuff. There are going to be a handful of players who I think are are, are really interesting, and, and one of those for me is De'Aaron Fox. Uh, you know, close the season on a high note. Uh, you know, played really well in the playoffs despite that finger injury. Was really I felt like the only guy who brought it every single night for the Kings in that seven game series. Uh, famously, I stayed away from De'Aaron Fox this year after drafting him in like every league the previous three years. 
and completely missed on that one. I, I know I'm going to be back in next season, but how high are you going to have to take De'Aaron Fox? Well, you know, his ADP ended up being pretty close to uh, like his final rank. So his final rank this year per game was 43. On Yahoo, he got drafted 46. Um, I I don't really want to go much higher than that, to be honest with you, because he's still – he would just have to make strides in free throw shooting. His three-point shooting was obviously an area of improvement for him, but he's not a volume guy in that category. And his steals have declined almost every single season of his career since his sophomore year. But if he can do what he did this year, I don't think his steals are going down farther. Um, yeah, I think you might have to reach up to like 30, right? This, this upcoming season. I I think that's about right. Yeah. I mean, he finished, he finished this year 27th in per game value. And it, to me, 30 feels low. It's like you, for someone who felt like they take a real, took a really big leap this season, you would feel like you have to pay up more, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the, I think he's, he's been a better real life defender than fantasy defender in terms of racking, racking up steals at the NBA level. So I get that. I mean, in terms of per game value, you know, Fox was still outside the top 40. So he, he had a much right. better real life season than fantasy season. The free throw percentage too remains an issue. He was in the eighties for like the first half of the year and then started to regress, finished the year at 78% at the line. I, I think that to me is the biggest killer. Like you can, you can live with a point guard giving you 1.1 steals, but if you're a point guard who gets to the line a ton, you got to be in the mid eighties. You, you do. I think um, he's good for nine cag as well. Only two and a half turnovers per game which yeah. is obviously great for someone who handles the ball as much as he does. He's not like a, not like a high usage guy, but he's averaged 25 and six. And, um, you know, that helps like he doesn't, he's not as much of a pure point guard anymore with Sabonis doing so much of the handling. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think he, I think he'll get a small bump up due to some reputation now. And the fact that um, what he's done feels pretty stable. And so I think people are going to be like, well, his role yeah. is stable. I like him. I'll just draft him, you know, I'll draft him 35th if he's on the board. I think the fact that he had a big playoffs hammered that home. You know, if he if he had come out and just sucked in the playoffs, I think that could have been like, a, all right, well, that's who this guy really is. But that, that's what people are going to remember. When you're doing a draft in August, you're going to think back and be like, man, he was great in the regular season. He was even better in the playoffs. He's going to keep this going. You know, it, part of the reason I think that you, you're not going to have to, quote unquote, reach for De'Aaron Fox is, on the one hand, like if you look at ADP from last year, it's like, pretty like there's very few guys that you say there's no way he's being drafted there next year it's like everybody you know like players just aren't falling off a cliff anymore i guess it's like like even lebron it's like yeah he'll probably miss games next year but i still expect him to be a 25 7 and 7 guy it doesn't seem like he's he's reached a different phase of his career yet same with guys like kd um like maybe chris balls in that category this year but you know you also have someone like laurie marketing who now needs to be taken very seriously as a high draft pick like jared jackson uh, it was probably in that zone last year, but he was coming in with the injury. So that skewed his ADP. Like Kristaps Porzingis, I think is in that category as well. Uh, like so Fox is what I'm trying to say is Fox is not the only guy who feels like he's moved into a much higher tier. No, and there's still guys who, you know, went above him this year that aren't like, I'm still taking Darius Garland over Fox next year. I think um, maybe not yeah. Bradley Beal who went over Fox this, this past year, but yeah, that's a good one. SGA, that's a good one. Obviously, you know, Paul George, uh, Kyrie is kind of a question mark, but yeah. And again, he's a little more limited in, in Roto formats, but yeah, I think I, again, I'm, if, if he's on the board and you have the 30th pick there, are, I think much worse 
<laughs> there are much worse ways you can go. What are you doing with Carl Anthony Towns? Not a disastrous well, season, a but I mean, he played 29 games. So from that perspective, it was, it, you know, it just, it never really felt like we got enough of a sample for him to even prove himself. But I mean, he was, he was a first round pick on average last year. Like that's not happening again. No, I don't think so. He, so he finished 28th and per game eight cat. Um, I think he, he could finish better than that. I mean, you have to factor in the fact like he got hurt one game, missed a ton of time, and then he came back. I mean, the first, so the first, basically his first 20 healthy games before he got hurt, 21 points, eight and a half boards, five assists. Um, you know, and obviously his steal and block numbers are both below zero. He's still firmly a second round guy for me. He's a center that hits threes. Um, pretty rare. I mean, obviously that you wish he would, he'd be better on blocks and stuff, but, um, you know, the assists are nice. It's just, he's, I, he just feels like a quality second round guy. It's hard for me to imagine him having a worse season. Like, is he going to average like 18 and seven next year? You know what I mean? Like there's just, it, it feels like he kind of hit his floor. I think so. I mean, you, you just have to worry about the games played. We, we, it's so weird. Like, I don't know if there's ever been a player who has like, all right, he's played 82 games four times. Every other season has been a complete blow up disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he ranked third one year in total value partially because of that. And he was always yeah. a first-round guy anyway. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's – I have a hard time discerning how much of this is fluke stuff. And um, did he get in a car accident one year? Is that why he was out for a bit? Um, uh, probably. I don't know. It seems like he probably. might have – I think he, he had COVID complications one year too. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, personal issues because, I, I mean, his family was having – I think his – yeah, family had some COVID stuff going on as well, but yes, um, no, I mean, I'm, I, I, I would draft Towns in the second round for sure. I think he's still a second round guy. I think he hit his floor this year. Again, the the Wolves as a team, they're kind of a mess, but he's he's still going to get his numbers. All right, let's say both of these guys are on the board at like I don't know the twentieth pick. Would you take Markin or would you take McCall Bridges? Interesting. Um. 20th pick, Markinen or Bridges? I think Bridges. More defensive upside. Okay. I think he'll... It's hard to say whether or not he'll actually have more of the keys to the offense than Markinen. I think they both have, like, the equal amount of keys. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just the... I mean, Bridges didn't do a lot defensively after he got to Brooklyn. I think part of that was, you know, he's asked to do so much more offensively. There's only so much effort you can give. But I gut feeling I would take Bridges, but it's not a lock. I, I would say gut gut feeling I would take Markinen, and I, I think Bridges has the higher upside. I I prefer to draft more safely, uh, which is why I finished twelfth in the stake league this year. Uh, <laughs> love that. Um, that's why I got Kawhi Leonard and Rudy Gobert. <laughs> but uh, right. no, I I mean with Bridges, like you said, there is so much more defensive upside. I mean he could be. If, he, if he's playing 36 minutes a game, he could be like a 1.6, 1.7 steals guy if things break right. Like, that's what he was as a rookie when he was playing like 29 minutes a game. So that's in there. Um, and the other thing with him, too, is he he was taking a ton of free throws at the end of the year and shooting like 90%. And, and Markin is a good free throw shooter, too. Uh, but, but you know, that's something that I think really works in Bridges' favor. I, I would go Markin right now. We'll also have to see what the Nets roster looks like. I, I feel like I'm more confident in kind of knowing what Utah will look like, whereas – Brooklyn at, at this point, you know, they're kind of in this just weird in-between zone for the next few years. Like I, I have no idea who they're going to bring in around him. Yeah. That's a, that's a big question as well. Um, yeah, man. I, it's just, 
he's he's tough to evaluate because he's his role changed so dramatically. He ended up just shooting like a, a ton of mid rangers and like ISO. He's he played like Demar Derozan to some extent later in the yeah. year. Um, yeah, I mean Markkanen's a safer pick, but well, I mean we'll have to see what both teams do. I mean, there's a chance both teams kind of liked how they looked towards the end of the year, and um, or I mean, you know, before Utah pulled the plug, and they're like, well, maybe we can add a guy or two, and this can become something real yeah. very quickly, especially with how, I mean, how relatively vulnerable both conferences seem from like a you know, can we get a top six seed? I mean, there are so many teams in the NBA right now that think they can get a top six seed next year. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been beating the the OKC drum as far as like they, you know, they could be as, as high as like the third or fourth seed, I think, next year if they really want to go for it. Um, and then, you know, if you're Utah, I think, yeah, you're looking at a team like, I don't know, Minnesota or New Orleans, and you're like, are, are they really that much better than us? I don't know, probably not. Uh, you know, the Clippers have some just massive health questions that aren't going to solve themselves anytime soon. And like, if there's one team that I, I kind of like sneakily rooting to move up in this draft, I think it's Utah. I mean, they, they have the ninth best odds. So chances are they're not getting up to number one, but uh, you know, even being able to add like Scoot Henderson or, or add like a top five pick would be really cool. Yeah, that would be, that would be awesome for them. And they're so well coached. Um, yeah. It would be cool to have just like, I don't know. Cause you don't see it that much where a team, it felt like they blew up that team. Like, three years earlier than a lot of other franchises would have. And they're really reaping the benefits right now. I mean, they, um, so if they're able to parlay that and get our great draft pick this year, move up to like two or three, that, that would be awesome. I've been getting a lot of texts over the last week saying like, Hey, how, how can the bucks get Damian Lillard? And I'm having to <laughs> you know, really talk people down and be like, Hey, you know, maybe we could get buddy healed. Like maybe we could get Zach Levine. Right. I, I don't think we're getting Lillard with that said, if you're the Milwaukee bucks in, it's a good spot to be in. You know, when you have a team like you have a player like Giannis, guys want to play with him. It's not a spot that Milwaukee has been in very often uh, in the history of the NBA. But should they be rooting for Portland to jump up and get the number one pick? Like, would, would Portland landing Weminyama kind of mean like, all right, we're, we're officially ready to, to hit reset. We're building around this guy. Maybe it's more palatable to part with Dame. Or if they were to get Weminyama, is it like, all right, well, maybe we can win with this guy right away because he's that good. Yeah, I actually feel like it's more likely they entertain trading Lillard if they fall in the draft. I think getting the number one pick and getting Wembanyama would make it more likely that Lillard stays because they probably feel like we can actually we can sign a couple guys in free agency, maybe make some trades, and then we're like, we're good now. We got our Nurkic replacement. Yeah, right. Well, finally, that means they can, they can shake Nurkic free. Um, you know, it, I, we've, we've talked about this like every couple of weeks. I, I want to do another check-in on like, where do you want Wembanyama to land? And I, I will give you Detroit, Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte as your four choices. I think um, so. I think Charlotte would be the most fun, uh, partially from a chaos perspective. Lamelo Ball plus Wembenyama would create a, a ridiculous amount of highlights. Um, and but I think from a like long term development standpoint, it is pro it's San Antonio. I think so. I think you're right because the other two choices are Detroit and Houston, but do we, do we still trust the Spurs on that same level? I mean, the team that first round pick got like basically kicked off the team for being like a sexual predator. That was, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Like Popovich is kind of in like the Belichick zone right now where obviously you have to respect him. He's going to go down as, as one of the three best coaches ever. No question about that. You can't erase any of it, but like, I don't know. Like if there was an exciting, 
if there's like an exciting quarterback prospect, like Anthony Richardson in this draft, like in, in New England had a chance to get him, I wouldn't be like super fired up about that. It, it's like, I don't, like at this stage in Pop's career, it's like, I, how many years does he have left? Like, I, it, it does kind of feel like he's hanging on for the possibility of Wembenyama. And it's like, if the Spurs don't get him, does he just retire? <laughs> he might. Uh, no, you're you're right about that. I, I, I maybe I mean, who do you, who do you want Wembenyama to go to? I don't want him to go to any of those teams. None of those teams deserve it. They're, they're, <laughs> none of those are fun spots. Like I, 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 Houston, I guess. Like Houston feels like the most fun team, even though they're kind of a disaster. But I don't know. I, I think they're, they're at least turning the ship in the right direction. You know, with, with Yudoka and I'm still a, a Jalen Green apologist. We'll talk about him in a sec. Uh, you know, Shagun. Like they, they at least have some pieces. Like Charlotte's just like not a fun city for for him to be in. San Antonio is just like way at the bottom of Texas. Like they have nothing going on there. Detroit. Uh, I mean. Yeah, I guess Detroit would be kind of fun, you know, Ivy plus uh, plus Cunningham plus plus Wembenyama. But to me, it would be way more fun if a team like Portland or Orlando or Indiana right. or Utah were to move up. Yeah, Detroit, him and Cade would be interesting, but I not like a Dwayne Casey guy, you know, maybe they get Nick Nurse in there, no. uh, get, get him to coach Wembenyama. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it would be a lot more fun if if one of those uh teams that aren't quite as bad were able to get him, which is certainly possible the way they flatten the lottery odds. Well, totally forgot, by the way, that Dwayne Casey isn't the coach anymore. He isn't the coach anymore? They fire him? Yeah, I I just had to look this up. He was fired three three weeks ago. <laughs> I to- I did totally forget that. <laughs> Sorry for my own. He, well, he wasn't fired. Really unprofessional. It, it kind of went under the radar because they're, they're moving him to the front office. So kind of a Brad Stevens situation. Oh, that's right. Well... Hey, Nick Nurse, baby. Does that change Nurse your opinion now? Yeah, uh, actually, I mean, maybe a little bit. Uh, Dude, if I if I was Nurse, I would be waiting this thing out, right? Like, I want to coach. Who doesn't want to coach Wembenyama? Like, I, I wouldn't. I would not take a job until I know where he's going. Would you? Would you wait even if Milwaukee offered for you? Mm, nah, maybe not. In that case, no, no, that's too good of a situation. And maybe, maybe that's what he is waiting for. I mean. The Bucks are just in a, in a really tough spot now, you know, given the the, the, the issue with, with Budenholzer's brother passing away during the series. Like, I, I think I don't think they're they're making any changes anytime soon. I think you have to be respectful, of course, of that situation. Um, and, and you know, if if a move does come, I, I think it'll be you know months down the road at this point. Yes, probably, unless Budenholzer kind of does it himself in a way. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, my, my guess is he probably hasn't even thought that much about it, uh, given the circumstances. But uh, I, I said when you talk about Jalen Green, he he was basically being drafted around like pick fifty to sixty in most drafts. He finished outside the top one thirty in per game value. I, I'm excited to get Jalen Green at a discount next year because I feel like a lot of people drafted him and are probably now swearing him off. Mike, uh, it's it's tough with these young guys because for his, I feel like there are just as many people who are swearing him off as people who are like, it's time to give him back a discount. And then those people all like have, they're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get him at, I'm going to give him at 50 this year. And then that person's like, well, I know there's somebody in my draft that wants to give him at 50. So I got to give him at 45. And then all of a sudden they like climb, they're, they're pretty, they're being drafted pretty yeah. highly again. But um, I think you're right. I mean, he's just a guy who feels so much more talented than like it, really feels like he should have broke out this year and didn't kind of like Anthony Edwards in a way who Anthony Edwards had a great season. Right. But it's like both of these guys, it's almost like they feel like ticking time bombs. Like it, it feels like one of these seasons, something's going to click. They're going to figure out they're going to average like an efficient 26 a game. 
Yeah, Edwards basically met ADP last year. Like, it, it did feel like somewhat of a letdown, but uh, if, if you're going per game value, he was like five spots behind his ADP. Uh, part of that, too, is he, he shoots 75% at the line. It's the same thing with De'Aaron Fox. Uh, but at least Edwards does give you like really, really high level steals production. He also has played basically every game since he's been in the league. I mean, 79 games played last year. That's huge. I- I'm still, I'm still very, very comfortable taking Edwards probably what in the 15 to 20 range. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. I mean, yeah. he is essentially, I mean, he's the number one option on that team. So that'll, that'll, that gives yeah, I'm looking at, like, if you look at the top 20 from last year, it's like, I think towns towns falls pretty significantly. I think LaMelo will fall. He won't fall out of the top 20, but I don't think he's going in the top 10 again. It, you know, just too much going on there uh, with, with the ankle injuries. I mean, that was like three separate ankle injuries last year. Uh, like, you know, now it's like, I think Halliburton like easily goes ahead of him. Uh, you know, Trey Young, another like just thoroughly weird season for Trey Young. And yet he ended up being pretty good fantasy wise. Uh, I, I don't think he ends up with a, a top 10 ADP again. That's what I'm seeing on fantasy pros right now. Uh, he, he probably goes a little later. You know, Anthony Davis is the guy who probably gets pushed up as long as he stays healthy through the rest of these playoffs. Like they don't have to win the title, but I I do think he has, he has issued a pretty stern reminder to the league of just how dominant he could be. It's just tough when you look at a guy's, um, you look at a guy's, uh, you know, stats and he hasn't played over 62 games since 2018. Yeah. uh, 2017, 18. So there's, I think there's only so high that he can go like, he played 56 games this year, ranks 22nd in total value, uh, seventh in per game value. So maybe you split the difference. He goes like 15th. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's like you, you're going to have to make the decision of like, okay, do I take Davis? Do I take Lillard? Or do I take LeBron or Towns? It's like, I, I, I don't love any of those guys. No, not quite. I Yeah, there's, there's some weird sort of... Every year, it feels like there's a very definitive cutoff where if you're in one of those leagues that you you choose your preferred draft position, you kind of yeah. just put yourself at the end of that that first tier um, to try to get some value. But I, I don't know what they'll end up being next year. Yeah, I, I still want like the number t- number one overall pick just to lock in Jokic. I, I think that is like the most valuable asset you can have. I, I know the gap between him and guys like Embiid and KD and SGA wasn't as massive this year as it's been in years past, but... I would still rather have the number one overall pick just to get him. But if I don't have that, then yeah, I would, I would love to pick nine, 10, 11, 12, and, and just lock in two elite guys because I don't think there's a huge gap between what you're getting with the second through fourth pick and like the combination of the ninth pick and the 15th pick. Yeah. I think, I think that makes sense. All right. Any other guys or, or teams you want to hit on here? Anybody that's just been you know bouncing around in your mind for the last 24 hours? Uh, well, I mean, we kind of talked about like Doncic a little bit, like yeah, both the the reckoning that will be him not uh, being the the betting favorite for MVP to open next year. We assume, like he has been for the past, I think I believe three years straight, if not yeah. two years. Um, I feel like this is the year people are kind of off of him, maybe on in uh, in in fantasy as well. I feel like he he probably drops a bit. The free throw shooting is what's really killed him. Uh, you know, he was uh, among the elite players. I mean, he's on the short list of guys who are returning negative value in terms of free throw percentage. Like other guys that are like in that zone are like, you know, Giannis, Steven Adams, Nick Claxton, Rudy Gobert, uh, Zion Williamson, Russell Westbrook, Jakob Pertl, Ben Simmons. And then, you know, there, there's Luka Doncic. Like it, it doesn't really match up uh, with the other guys who, who have that stat profile. 
even so, even with him dragging you down in free throw percentage, and of course in, in category leagues, there are ways to kind of work around that. He was still the eighth best player per game last season. So you're right. He will not open as the MVP favorite for what would be the third straight year, but he's still like really, really rock solid for fantasy. I mean, like the, he basically gives you like 50 points, rebounds, assists every single night. He was over a steal per game last year, closer to one and a half. Uh, field goal percentage was way up. You know, it gives you a bunch of threes. Um, so I, I can kind of live with the free throw percentage uh, discrepancy for him. I think so. Yeah. Like, so last year, his ADP was three. He was behind Jokic and Giannis. Um, and I believe, I mean, Giannis is too high as well. Um, but I could see Tatum, you know, Tatum going above him. It's just tough because there are some guys farther down in this list that are like injury prone. Durant, um, yeah. you worry about Harden to an extent. Um, I think Curry will probably end up going higher next year than 11. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that was his ADP at ASPN. I know he was going higher in Yahoo leagues. Um, you know, some of these are, are so dependent on format. But yeah, it, Curry, I feel like, has boosted his stock. Like, he's going to be a year older, of course. But I, I don't feel like he you're as worried about him falling off. Whereas I, I put, like, KD, Lillard, LeBron, Harden, all kind of in the same category of, like, all right, I, I still like you. I think there's a better chance than not that you end up returning first or, like, at worst, second-round value. But we also have to be aware that there's like real, real downside here at this point in your career. Right. And you're kind of with all those guys, it's like 70 games would be a win for me. If oh, I get 70 games out of these yes. guys. Yeah. Oh, no question about that. I mean, if I think, I think if you could just lock in like 65 games for those guys, I'd right. be fine with that because I, I'm worried. I mean, LeBron played 55 this year, you know, and like Lillard played 58, uh, you know, Curry himself only played 56. Uh, like if, if you can lock in anything above 65, for someone that you view as a risk, I, I'm totally good with that. Yeah, I think people are also going to be more weary this year of like the guys on on really good guys on tanking teams. Like maybe Lillard isn't as popular this year because people are like, well, at the end they just shut him down. Yeah. Like how many of these guys on these bad teams are just going to get shut down again? Yeah, I think that's something that we will we'll, we'll have to do at least an article or a pod series on that because I, I feel like we we talked about it of course last year, but not nearly as much as we needed to. You know, I think we just kind of said like, well, these are the bad teams, these are the good teams. I think we need to like, – that's become maybe the biggest factor in fantasy other than injuries is kind of making – you know, you, you got to hit on the teams that you think are going to be competitive. And you, you almost don't you almost don't even want to have the really good teams or the really bad teams because, like, you know, like the Houston Rockets were so bad that it's not like they were resting Jalen Green or resting Kevin Porter. Uh, it, it's like you, you, you want to avoid, like, that next tier of teams that are trying to tank at the end of right. the season, and that's really hard to predict. Like, you – ideally, you want players on teams that are seeded, like, four through ten. <laughs> yes uh yeah like bradley beal got you know he got shut down like porzingis at the end of the year lillard we talked about like you know indiana those guys kind of packed it in so yeah those are the those are the kind of teams you want to avoid but again that's that's easier said than done to predict who that will be you can catch more of us on nba radio tonight uh, NBA radio channel 86 over on Sirius XM. We'll be there at 7 p.m. Eastern previewing Lakers Warriors from a gambling perspective. That game starts at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. Uh, for Alex Barutha, I'm Nick Whalen. We'll be back at you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.